Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world, and hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the Events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors of horses and their riders and of all humanity, both free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Well, welcome to the last uh, teaching on the book of Revelation that we're going through. We've been doing this for eight weeks. There's a guide over here in case you've missed it. If you want a way to recap and, and uh, remember, uh, maybe as the next time you're reading through the book of Revelation, some of these things will come back to your memory. Uh, but the idea is that we are trying to look at this in the most sensible way and see why it was written, who it was written to, and how it might serve to encourage us and build us up as a church because that was really the intention of it. It wasn't to create mystery and chaos and all kinds of craziness around the interpretation of the book of, uh, uh, the book of Revelation. There has certainly been a wide array of craziness when it comes to interpreting various parts of the book of Revelation. We'll read a description of the millennium, which is this 1,000-year reign described in Christ. It's not, not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, just here in the book of Revelation. And so there's a lot of debate uh, over that. I'll give you one example here in a moment. Um, 
But let's, let's think for just a minute. How many of you are happy about the Protestant Reformation? Technically, we should all be happy about that because we're in a Protestant church, right? So we should be happy about the Protestant Reformation. Uh, a lot of really incredible things happened. For example, uh, the Bible was translated into the common language of the people. Martin Luther translated it into uh, like lower level German so that people were able, like common people were able to pick this up and read for themselves uh, the word of Christ, the message of the gospel. So it was really an, an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. Uh, John Wycliffe and other people started translating it into the English language, and it's uh, really a wonderful gift that we have. And so good on the Protestants. One thing that happened with that, that came with that, though, was this idea of sort of open interpretation, that now since everybody can read it, Everybody has the opportunity to interpret it on their own. And some extreme Protestants might think what I'm about to suggest to you is heretical, but do you have any crazy friends? <laughs> Who might possibly maybe misunderstand something that's going on in the Bible? And so it's a dangerous thing to interpret the Bible on your own. It's dangerous for me to interpret it on my own. So we, we look to the historical Christian community when we're interpreting Scripture to make sure that what we're seeing is in agreement with what has been seen in the past, right? So... Uh, we, we want to make sure it's in agreement with other scripture. We want to make sure it's in agreement with, say, the church fathers. You know, those are the, the people who led the church in the first two, three hundred years. We want to make sure that across the span of Christian history, there is agreement in the way that we are seeing things. Otherwise, uh, you can enter into a, an area of great danger. I'll give you this example. In uh, Munster, Germany... Uh, not long after the time of Martin Luther, uh, there came about a group of Anabaptists, not to be associated with the Baptist church down the street. This is a different uh, type of group. They were called the Anabaptists, and they decided that they were, in this particular group of Anabaptists, this is not like Anabaptist-wide, but this particular group in Munster, Germany, they decided that they were responsible for ushering in the millennial reign of Jesus. When they read Revelation 20, they decided that was them. And so they became actually militant about that. And they kicked Lutherans and they kicked Catholics and anybody who wasn't Anabaptist out of Munster, Germany. Very Christian. Very Christian. Uh, this, you know, that kind of thing should, should raise a red flag for you. Anytime Christians become militant, ooh, we should be very, very careful. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't serve in the military. That's a different thing. But when the church becomes militant, remember when Peter took out a sword and he cut the guy's ear off? 
Jesus didn't enter into that. And there's a reason for that. Jesus calls us to something else. Victory through surrender, through death, uh, through loving our enemies. Uh, so these people in Munster, Germany, they thought that if they forcefully made their city a righteous city, then this would usher in the millennial reign of Christ, that Jesus would come there to this new Jerusalem. Well, this went on for a little while, but leaders started dying off, either old age or because of their battling with surrounding cities and folks, different leaders died. And so of the original leaders, there was one left. And so he decided to appoint himself the king of the new Jerusalem. Anytime a Christian interpreting the book of Revelation appoints himself king, you should raise the red flag, several of them. And wouldn't you know it, that this guy decided that one of his rights and privileges as a king was to have multiple wives. Does that sound like any other multiple historical cults throughout history? So you can see that it's very dangerous to just read on your own the Bible and decide that certain things are true without having agreement from the wider church. Um. <clears throat> Chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit of the abyss and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into a bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Bible scholars tend to theorize that this is the Archangel Michael. Uh, the, I think the encouragement here for the church is that when God so orders, an angel can be sent and can arrest Satan and put him in a place where he is no longer having any impact on our lives. Uh, then it says, I saw, uh, then I saw thrones and people sitting on them who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus. This is where the Anabaptists should have got a clue that they weren't it. But those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the Word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their forehead or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until a thousand years had ended. Now, given that this is the only time this thousand-year reign is mentioned in the scriptures, you can see how there might be a wide variety of interpretation around this, and certainly there is. 
There's premillennialist. It's probably the most common idea that the millennium hasn't happened yet. The millennial reign of Christ hasn't happened yet, whatever it may actually be. Uh, but there's amillennialist, thinking that, you know, this is like representative of the church age, that we are sort of ruling spiritually right now. Um, there are post-millennialists, people who think that this era has already happened, maybe the first 1,000 years after uh, the resurrection of Christ, maybe before the great schism or the Eastern and Western church split apart. And so this was Satan entering back in. So there are some different interpretations of how this millennial thing will work. And here's the secret. We don't know. So I think you should very much hesitate when somebody claims to know for sure what a prophecy means that is mentioned one place in Scripture with no other supporting description, very dangerous. Uh, let me give you an example from Jesus' day. When Jesus was walking on this earth, the understanding of the highest level of rabbis in Jesus' day was that there would be two messiahs. As they read all the Old Testament prophecies, the Messianic prophecies, Isaiah, Jeremiah, as they read through them, their conclusion was there had to be two messiahs, one that would suffer because there's all this description about a suffering messiah, and one that would rule because there's all this description about a ruling messiah. So there must be two. Oh, how wrong they were. But let that be a lesson to us as we, as a Christian community, think we might have some sort of secret revelation, some sort of special revelation about what things might be, especially when there is such little support elsewhere in the scriptures. And that's why I keep trying to bring us back to the words of Jesus, the words of the Apostle Paul, where they give very clear teaching about the end times. There's no mystery or symbolism. They give very clear teaching about it. And so let's do a quick review. Let's see how much of this we remember. Uh, the first thing that Jesus says is don't be misled. You guys did so much better than the first service, just so you know. I don't know if they hadn't had their coffee yet or what was going on. You guys nailed it. I had to really kind of wait for it in the first service. So don't be misled. And the second is, don't, don't, man, you guys are good, okay. Don't panic, right? And then after that, there's this instruction about living a life of integrity, of righteousness, of focusing on your character, not on the circumstances of the end times, right? It's, it's we are not called to peace together, prophetic illusion with current events and guess at when he will return. Like that's, that's nowhere in the story. That's nowhere in the teaching. We are, if anything, we are instructed to do precisely the opposite of that. 
not be misled, to not panic, to patiently endure, to wait and to trust. Right? Jesus, as our example, says, I don't even know. And we can debate how that works in the Trinity and so forth. That's a different question. But Jesus, at the very least, is being an example to us, saying, I don't even know. Only the Father knows. Right? This, this whole thing is about trusting the Father. And so uh, we will talk a little bit about how we are supposed to live uh, as we wait for his return, more so than we will, how do we know when, when he will return? Uh, let's skip to uh, Revelation chapter uh, 21, and starting in verse, uh, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her, for her husband. Uh, there is sort of some debate about whether or not this is the church symbolically, right? We know we are the bride of Christ. Uh, what connection there is between the church and the city of Jerusalem and this whole description we're not totally sure about. We're not sure how much is literal and how much is symbolic. Uh, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. This is the important part. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for, I, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished, where we heard that before. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, and here's the invitation, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is a reminder to us that the whole point of all of this is so that God can have fellowship with you and I. I mean, that's something you should spend like a whole week sometime just thinking about. That the God of the universe, the God who said that you should exist, the God who sustains existence itself, wants to have fellowship with you and I, wants to have friendship with you and I, wants us to experience him fully and wants us to know that he's experiencing us fully. Wants to continuously for eternity reveal his endless glory and might, his majesty, his power, his wonder to you and I. I mean, how often do you think the God of the universe takes on form of his creation and 
takes on the role of a suffering servant and surrenders himself to death. How often do you think that happens? That was all done for you and I. He wants to have fellowship with us. That's the goal. He wants to be with us. He's coming here. I mean, I think we probably all have the image of like, you know, dying at some point. Maybe, have, has anybody ever imagined themselves like on their deathbed? Yeah? I mean, it's, it's coming. Maybe you don't get the chance to die on your deathbed. Maybe you die some other way. But, and I know I'm supposed to be encouraging, but there's also reality. And maybe, you know, we just kind of think about our soul just kind of floating away from our body. And obviously, I don't know how it all happens because as far as I know, I'm still alive. Am I still alive? No, mostly? Okay, all right. But God is coming here. God is coming to this place to make all things new. God has a plan where we are living here with him for eternity. We are not going to heaven. Heaven is coming to us. Uh, I don't know if there's any Transformers fans in here, but there's a scene where uh, it's kind of reversed because the bad guys are like using Earth to, you know, remake their, their glorious kingdom. Um, but when I'm watching that movie, it's like, you know, this massive planet, like, absorbing ours. Uh, it's the best image I can think of to, to, to think about heaven coming to earth and everything being made new. This incredible recreation. I mean, I don't think God did too poorly the first time around. Apparently, creation is like under a curse right now. I mean, imagine like the stories you hear, not your own heart, but the stories you hear about the darkness of the human heart. Has anybody ever heard any of these stories? Like the kind of evil and darkness that happens on earth? Anybody ever hear about that? Like that same darkness and cursedness is, is on creation right now. Right, we're told in the scriptures that all creation is groaning like we groan, right? Because we get so tired of evil and suffering and darkness. We get so tired of the darkness of the human heart and all of creation is groaning and there's, there will be a day when it will be made new. I mean, could you imagine Alaska not cursed? Whoa! We talk about God's country. <laughs> We've got an incredible, incredible time coming. And that was important for the, that church, the, church, the churches that this was written to, to understand, to be reminded of, because they were up against an incredible amount of oppression. They were being persecuted in every possible way. Satan was attacking all of their relationships 
and just their normal life like he attacks us, but there was also so many other layers of oppression and evil going on at this time in the open, forcefully against the, those who follow Jesus. So it was so important for them to be reminded that there was an incredible, incredible day coming. Well, let's talk a little bit about how we ought to live. Chapter 22 and uh, starting verse 10. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in the book, in this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. In other words, don't, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. And, and don't take, it's not your responsibility to bring justice. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Right? That's our concern. We stay in our lane. We're not here to judge the world. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. That's hopefully you and I keeping our lives clean and pure. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride. The bride, by the way, that's you and I. Say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. So that is the role of the church. That's what we do in partnership with the spirit. We invite people to come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. So that is what we do in concert with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit guiding us with our desire for the Holy Spirit's leading in our life, with our willingness to step courageously into obedient action, we invite those in this world to come and drink freely. Jesus is quite clear about how we should be preparing for the return of Jesus, how we should be living while we wait. Uh, he tells a story in Matthew chapter 25. He tells three stories, actually. And whenever you are in a place where you're wondering about the end times and maybe how things will come together, and maybe some fear enters in uh, because, you know, you're not sure how it's going to go and there's some things that sound very scary, I would encourage you to read Matthew chapter 25, which have nothing to do 
with how things are going to go down. And I'm suggesting this to you because I think your mind and your heart need to be redirected. Not to how things are going to go down, but to how you need to prepare your heart for the time when you will stand before Jesus. So he starts with a parable about ten bridesmaids. Maybe you've heard it before. Before we read it, I'm going to share with you just a little bit of um, Jewish wedding culture, Jewish wedding tradition. So, a, you know, uh, depending on how it was arranged, ultimately the father of the groom and the father of the bride would meet together and they would make a contract. This is how this marriage is going to work. And they would be responsible for enforcing the contract. If there was an issue with the marriage, and then a cup of wine would be offered to the bride. Isn't it interesting that in communion, Jesus offers the church a cup of wine to enter into covenant? That's not by accident. This is how covenants were made in those days. And once that covenant was made, then the parties would split. They would go their separate ways because it was the groom's responsibility to go and make a place for his bride. And you may recall that Jesus tells his disciples that he was going to go away and make a place for them. And so this groom would be working at his father's house, adding on to his father's house, making the appropriate number of rooms, putting in the plumbing. Just joking, they didn't have plumbing in those days. Not like we do anyways. But making everything just right for his bride. Not just for the honeymoon, but for their life together. And so he would be working away, you know, bringing in the stones or the wood or the bricks, whatever it took. And he would be building that place. And when the place was finally ready, the father of the groom was quality control. And he was the one that declared, now it's time. It's time to have the wedding. The bride and her bridesmaids uh, were doing something different. They were living in mystery. They had no idea how long this process was going to take. They could see from the outside, maybe things were getting close, but they didn't know what was going on inside, and, and the community knew to kind of keep things quiet, right? Kind of like, don't let the bride and groom see each other on their wedding day until the ceremony, kind of like that. And so there was this anticipation being built up, but the, the bride and her bridesmaids, they were expected to be ready at all times. At all times. They, they knew generally, you know, like, yeah, it's probably this month. Things are looking like they're getting pretty close. But they were then expected to be ready all the time. Because suddenly there was going to be an announcement. It could come at any hour. Right? Sometimes the father of the groom was kind of a character. And sometimes he wanted to wake up the whole village. And so, midnight. And it was time to party. The, the bride did things to make sure that she was ready. 
right? She's working on her cosmetics. She's working on her fashion. She's ready. She's got her bridal dress ready to go. Uh, these bridesmaids, they're required to be ready to go at any moment, ready to celebrate. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. I wonder if this is Jesus telling us it'll probably be longer than you think. Maybe have some extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus was warning the church about becoming drowsy and falling asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. This was the beginning of a seven-day feast. Everybody involved. All the bridegrooms got up and prepared their lamps. The five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. You can't depend on other people's spirituality You alone will stand before Jesus at some point. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. They called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. So does it sound like it's our responsibility as Christians to try to piece together current events and make them match up with potential prophetic symbols and images? Does that sound like what Jesus wants us to be doing? No, he wants us to be preparing our hearts to always make sure we have extra oil in the lamp, to always make sure that we are ready and we are so hungry for fellowship with him that we do nothing else but live our lives in a way of preparation. And the very last thing we would do is fall asleep and become drowsy because we are so passionate for in concert with the Holy Spirit inviting people to come and drink of the living water. Uh, the rest of Matthew chapter 25 is also great encouragement for how our hearts might be prepared. You may have heard of the parable of the talents. I'll leave that for you to read on your own. I'm going to close the teaching on the book of Revelation with... Um, Kind of a kind of a Chuck Norris theme. Uh, if you don't know who Chuck Norris is, you really should. 
greatest movies ever, for sure. But there are these statements made about Chuck Norris which aren't true, like when Chuck Norris does push-ups, he doesn't push himself up. Rather, he pushes the world down. And they're funny because you know they're not true, but these things that I uh, will say about Jesus, they are true. He can, for example, push the world down. Uh, he can tell it to exist or not to exist. He can tell light to be or not to be. Uh, it was important for Jesus to be revealed to the church of John's day. Everything was against them. Their families were being torn apart by this question of loyalty to Jesus. People were being tormented in every way, within their families, socially, in the community, economically, politically, it was illegal to be a follower of Jesus. It was illegal to have your own ideas about what was true. It was illegal to live those things out. Your family members, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, they were charged with the task of pointing you out if there was even a hint of you being a follower of Jesus. And you were to be taken to court and put on trial and forced to worship Caesar, who you knew very well to be only a man. You would be forced to worship him as your Lord and Savior. It is that environment into which John writes. It is that environment into which Jesus reveals himself through this vision that he has given to the Apostle John. John writes of a Jesus who is fully revealed in his full glory. For this king, splendor is not an issue. Uh, the number of crowns is not important. We are told that he has many crowns. As if to say that if he needs more crowns, he can pull them out of his back pocket. He's got all the crowns he needs. This king is the king of kings and truly the lord of lords. There can be no pretenders to his throne. There is only one who is worthy. There is only one who will ever set on his throne. This king has a name that only he himself knows and can understand. It was widely believed in antiquity that these gods had secret names. And if you knew those secret names, then you would have some extra leverage, some 
sort of power over them. Jesus has a name that only he knows. He is the only one who can fully grasp his own splendor. This king has a robe dipped in blood. You see, he's been in battle before. It is a reminder to him of the blood of the saints that has been shed for his glory. He is a veteran of war, and he is hungry for wrath. This king's name is the word of God. He physically embodies all the power of the universe, the power to create, the power to sustain, the power to destroy, the power to make new. In the Old Testament, we see that he swears by himself. And that's because there is no greater power to swear by. It is not possible for him to swear by anything else. This king is judge, jury, and executioner. And he is just in each of those roles. This king only needs a ceremonial army. Roman emperors and world leaders throughout history have depended upon their generals and their armies to maintain a facade of power. Here the situation is reversed. The king is the only warrior necessary. This king accomplishes whatever fighting is necessary with his word. He simply, he simply commands what is to be. This king will defeat evil forever. He holds the keys to death, the abyss, and hell. This king can offer eternal life, and this king does offer eternal life. This king does not struggle against his enemies. He commands them to lose. This is my hope, is that you would consider reorienting your life around the reality of the return of Jesus. That you would never again be misled or panic when you hear something about the apocalypse or the end times when crazy events might happen in this world when somebody says here's the antichrist or there's the antichrist or there's this cabal against Christianity none of that's new news by the way the Bible Paul says that the spirit of the antichrist has been working the whole time and that's the whole story. Yes, there's a cabal against Christianity, and it's led by Satan, the dragon. This is not new news to us. So we remain calm. We refuse to be misled. And we seek to live righteous lives. We seek to have our lamps full. We seek to be vigilantly watching and waiting for the return of Christ while we live a life of love in this world. I don't know if you're familiar with how the gladiatorial games ended. 
But I think it's a good example for us to know how to live in this world, in a fallen world. Uh, around 400 AD, after Christianity had become the official religion of the Roman Empire, the gladiatorial games continued. Pe men continued to kill each other for the sport and entertainment of the culture. The culture had not been transformed until a monk, Telemachus, decided enough was enough and jumped into the arena. And he put himself between the two combatants and he yelled to the crowd, how long will we continue? He was killed by one of the combatants and the game came to its completion. But that was the last time the gladiatorial games happened because the people, those who now at least claim sort of politically to be followers of Jesus, they were confronted with courageous truth. They were confronted with real faith in action, with real love in action. They were confronted with this incredibly bold, courageous act of self-sacrificing love. And that, I think, is how we ought to live. And that, I think, is how people are able to hear the invitation to come and drink of the living water. Please join me in prayer. Father, we pray that you would give us strength, that you would build our faith, that you would anoint us for this time, in this generation, in this place, in this culture with all of the chaos, craziness, the mayhem around us. We ask that you would equip us, help us to put on the full armor of God and to walk boldly, confidently, courageously into this culture. And share your good news. Share your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen.